Yo, what's up, guys? It's JB here. Today is Sunday, and I'm on the line tonight for a special Theory 11 roundtable discussion with two people. Originally, we were only scheduled for one, but we have actually we have three surprise guests on this thing, if you count total. Four, actually, if you count uh, babies. Um, I'm on the line <laughs> with, uh, firstly, Luis de Matos. Um, Hi, hello. He's, uh, he's in Portugal right now. Where are you at in Portugal? I'm in the middle of Portugal, near Coimbra. Coimbra, yeah, pretty much in the center of Portugal. Gotcha. And we also have uh, Chris Kenner on the line. I think he can hear us as well. Yep. And he's in Las Vegas. And next to him is Katie, I was going to say Eggleston, but now Kenner. Uh, <laughs> and inside of her is uh, uh, Zoe Kenner. But that's, uh, that's for another podcast and neither here nor there. Um, so, so we have uh, a lot of questions. You guys submitted your questions over the past uh, 24 hours for Luis, and we're going to get into as many of those as we can. We've kind of handpicked some of the best questions to ask him in this podcast. Uh, but I thought, firstly, uh, Chris and Luis go way back, so I wanted to let them kind of start off the discussion with how they met, uh, what Luis does, blah, blah, blah. So I'll let you guys uh, begin. Luis and I have this interesting – every time I see Luis or he calls me on the phone or I call him on the phone, we have this very interesting way that we, we sort of greet each other. Yeah, we, 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 we call each other the worst names we could possibly think of on the phone. I think it all started one time. I was sitting in Lisbon and you woke me up at a phone call. Get up, you blah, 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 blah. That was hysterical. So it's been – ever since then, we have uh, – we've been doing that every time we see each other, which is always kind of fun. But yeah, yeah you know, for everyone else watching us, right? Exactly. They're like, "What the hell's going on here? Those guys are crazy." <laughs> yeah, it's all right. going on. When did you meet um, him? You know, I don't remember. When did we meet? Uh, I think uh, when you were in Lisbon was 1999. So yeah, ten years ago. Ten yeah, years ago. Been a long time. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. We've uh, we've had some. Uh, and how's how's Vanessa? We have to ask Vanessa's the four questions. Fine. We are, we are uh, uh, currently, although it uh, doesn't look like uh, uh, working time, uh, Su-33 is full power tonight, uh, although, yeah, I know it's Sunday, uh, but we need to finish some things uh, and, uh, and deadlines are not generous or um, changeable, at least for us, and so that's why we are um, in the middle of work, but fun as well. Yeah, well, that's well. That's something that I I know about you is you always have fun, no matter what you do. You seem to have fun, so that's a good thing. You know, whenever you I watch you perform or watch any any video of you, you're always always look like you're having a good time, which is great. I think the secret is that is that if you love what you do and if you are able to get fun from what you do, you'll end up not uh, counting the hours you spend or. Uh, or, or the effort you make because you are always excited with doing something and and it's both pleasure and work and I believe that nowadays there is less and less people that uh, has the privilege of doing what they love to do and they can pay their bills from that so I believe I belong to this group of people where I'm sure you both uh, belong as well uh, and that's it's quite a big privilege um, Louis, you want to tell them a little bit about kind of what you do currently, what your studio does there. Uh, you guys missed before we started recording this. Uh, Luis gave me this kind of visual tour of this amazing complex he has in Portugal where they produce and they create the shows and they edit videos and, and television specials over there. So can you tell them a little bit about what you do currently and what you've done in the past? 
Well, it all came from when I started doing TV. Uh, uh, I was studying at university because my parents said it's important to study. And then I finished my degree. At the same time, I was doing my first TV appearances. And there was one time already when I, uh, I, I stayed at university giving classes later. And there was at the same time doing TV shows. And there was a moment I needed to decide. And I decided to go for the magic. Uh, but since the beginning, I always thought that if you have more control over the final product, product means that the final product can be good or bad, but it is you. And if it's bad, it's your fault. You can have no one else to blame. And if it is good, you can share it with the people that are next to you and make you look good. And that was always the thinking behind. So every new series I did, uh, and I would say I started on 1990, so it's... Uh, uh, I don't even want to do the counts. Um, so the, the, when when we started, uh, we, okay, next series we are, we also are in charge of this and also on this. And so like the last one, previously this one was 2001, and we already taped it in Coimbra, my my home city, and we have full control. But still, um, the, the the cameras and the editing stations and all of that. They, they belong to the station, to RTP, which it's like it's the national public channel one. Um, and then uh, we were we are a small team working every day. We are nine people, and we were divided into an office area, a workshop area, and a warehouse area. And not being that much means that we were losing lots of time by uh, I, uh, two people here, three there, two there, and we were not really together every day as we worked from nine to six. So in 2002, I designed uh, what would be later called Studio 33, which is from where I, we are, I am having this conversation with, with you three. Um, and, uh, and I designed it in 2002, uh, completely custom made to our desire, to what are our needs. And then in 2003, we start building it. 2006, we moved in and we hope that it is finished and ready and it, it makes its debut to the world on 2010. You have a, you have a post-it note. You have a post-it note next to your desk with the date. Correct. Right? With the magic number 120,610, which can be uh, uh, decoded into 12 of June 2010. Uh, so we have a goal. We have this. This we are focused on that day. But meanwhile, while it, we have been building it, um, we already shoot stuff here and rehearse stuff here. Like the the last live show we did was completely built in uh, inside Studio 33 with, with, with masons around and the guys were in the air condition and no doors. But yes, we did that. And so when we go on tour, we take everything, uh, the, the light and the set and the, even myself. Uh, Why do, so, do you need you? <laughs> yeah, well, basically for nothing because the team does everything. I just... I'm just there to take the applause, but it's so so pleasant that I usually go. And then uh, we also taped here uh, four years ago a completely magic special done in three in three D. Uh, it was aired as the end of a week at the national uh, at, at RP, the same channel I've been working for. And finally, our great happy moment was when last year we were able to uh, achieve total control. 
And by total control, I mean um, the celebrities will come into our studio with our set that we built and we shoot it with our cameras and edit it in-house. So finally, uh, this it was a dream come true uh, by having blank tapes coming in and us delivering every week a new show to the station. Uh, so I just hope now that we have more to do uh, to keep on this on this. Uh, so wait, is that a, you're doing you're doing a magic show a week? Uh, it was 13 shows. We did that uh, last year, and I, they aired this year um, uh, six already before summer, and they will air the, the other seven uh, now on on the rentry on uh, after uh, in starting are, October. I think these are in Portuguese or Spanish. Uh, Portuguese. Portuguese. Um, yeah. How many how many hours of television have you done down there? Uh, well, I've done a lot, not that I am proud of all of them, uh, but uh, yeah, we have done a lot because uh, my biggest reference as a kid uh, was, of course, David Copperfield, uh, in, like, like a dream, but the guy that I want to be like, the guy that I most admire as the guy that was amazingly complete and, uh, and, and not being uh, so far away uh, like the American reality, um, it was just next door, was Paul Daniels. So I, I grew up being a big fan of Paul Daniels. So uh, the first shows I, I start doing on TV, they were what I could do that would resemble what I was seeing when I see Paul Daniels every week. Um, then uh, we, I, I was lucky enough to invite some guests and the guests would uh, uh, generous enough uh, to be to come for no money, even losing money, and I remember, I remember those first guys that said yes to this kid from Portugal that almost begged them to come into the show, and people like Tommy Wonder, uh, Tamaris, uh, Topper Martin, uh, Dick Cornwinder, Topaz. Um, uh, was people that uh, from the beginning said, okay, let's go there, I, well, I mean, let's go. And so this was in the very first series then, and this was like a, a ten, sh ten, ten show series. They said, okay, we'd like to do ten more, and I said, sure, of course. No idea what I was going to do because I did all the tricks I knew on the first ten. But yes, we did ten more and ten more in a total of forty. Then next year they say, we'd like twenty-six for Saturday afternoon. Okay, we did 26 for Saturday afternoon. And then they said, okay, we'd like 26 for Saturday night. And this means that every two years we would come up with uh, 26 hours of entertainment, uh, which I thought was very cool magic. That's not what I think nowadays, but back then, yes. Um, always with some guests. So I, I'll, the guests that said yes to me at the beginning and coming for a very low money, now I will invite them again. But now it's oh, it's a little bit more money, almost enough to pay for the flight. Uh, and so I, for me, there's one thing that um, uh, some years ago, JJ, my friend from England, and it also uh, oh, I know uh, JJ. Yeah, and uh, is does, does this fantastic show, Bizarre Bath comedy walk with Noel Britton um, and he is generous enough to work with us uh, for eight years now um, every every half year when he is not performing in England he's working with us but he was uh, doing an article about me and uh, he decided to contact some people 
and ask them to not write amazing quotes saying how wonderful I am and say, hey, uh, please tell us a word that you think is connected with this guy. And, and I remember Tommy Wonder uh, from the bed of the hospital where he was, he was spending his final days. He said, okay, for, for me it's very clear. The word that describes Louise, it's loyal. So, and I think that word, that, that, that perception of Tommy Wonder came exactly because Tommy was one of the guys that every new series I had, I brought him back because I remember not having money to pay him and he came losing money. And now I want the, 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 the work we did, um, trying to dignify magic, try to put magic on the spotlight, try to put magic on uh, primetime TV, uh, trying to do magazine covers about the guy that is a magician and not a famous pop star. All of that end up being good for me, of course, but also uh, for magic. So, so uh, I think that uh, the fact that it keep coming back and uh, we, we all helped building this perception for magic. That's what I believe. Um, just to get to one of the questions here, because what you just uh, had touched on you is... You answered quite a bit of it. Yeah, you answered, you answered about <laughs> yeah. 80% of Sorry. these. Sorry. But um, there's a question uh, you just talked about what you do currently and kind of uh, your process and starting on television. But there's a question here by Illusionist14, and he's saying, uh, "How did you get about uh, performing on these big stages? What was your first kind of big break or your large first big performance, your first big uh, demonstration for a large audience?" Well, I think that the first uh, the first thing that uh, really made me made it, make it made it possible was the fact that um, I, I went on the, when I was 13, uh, I started writing letters to the TV station saying uh, that I want to do a TV series. Thank God they never got answered because if they would have got answered, I would have not been able to uh, deliver uh, what I thought I could deliver. Uh, but so I'm, I'm very happy that they never got answered and I never got that TV series. But the fact that I kept writing and kept writing and kept writing meant that one day when the, someone getting those letters um, was or, or maybe so upset of getting so many letters or maybe say, OK, we need a guy to do this or that. They end up contacting me to do a small spot and, and like in a morning show, uh, like could be Good Morning America. And like every Wednesday, I would go there and do something, do five minutes. Uh, and then from there, I, I start doing this small, uh, steady participations on TV, live at the beginning, and then doing the first series and all of that. I believe that the moment where uh, I become uh, uh, known as Luis de Matos and the magician and people know what I do and they, they, they do this. They, the moment where I feel I was recognized on the street, uh, it was mostly in 1995 when I did um, a lottery prediction. Uh, I did a, a lottery prediction that was really uh, quite powerful. Uh, one time I was uh, uh, speaking to uh, my uh, good friend and admired uh, David Copperfield, and he, he decided to rename uh, to rename that uh, that trick, and because I shared all the methods, all the insights with him, and he told me, "Okay, that is not lottery prediction. That should be called Mission Impossible," uh, <laughs> because it well, yes, it was quite crazy. But I think that was the turning point, basically. Um, 
Oh, hey, I have a quick question about what was the thing you did with the armored car? Sorry, sorry. Well, didn't you do something with an armored car? And uh, is that the yes? Is that the lottery yes. thing? Yes. Yes. That was the. That's. The, I remember that very well. I remember you explaining that to David very well. Yeah, yeah, it was was uh, was a week basically, and very shortly was in one week uh, prior to the release of my first public book uh, was with, in Lisbon. I did this prediction and which stayed inside a, a, a bulletproof uh, box and with security guards uh, all night, twenty four hours a day. People could go there 24 hours a day. There was literally pilgrimages to the spot to see the book inside the, the bulletproof uh, crystal. And uh, I have no contact with that anymore because on, the, on Saturday next week, uh, this armored car and this security company just grabbed everything and transported it on a three-hour drive from Lisbon to my home city. Uh, and with helicopter filming live for TV and all the media, and all. it was a, a quite a big uh, uh, stunt, and uh, and it was revealed in my hometown. And when it was revealed, of course, the prediction was correct. Uh, and the method, the method. I remember the method. The method is amazing. The method was just. I don't know if I would have the nerve to do it uh, today, but I remember. <laughs> oh man, that, I, I you have some serious. Uh, you know, and and uh, that's that's an interesting. Thing. One day we will need to discuss the method publicly, or uh, publicly, I mean, into the magic community. Uh, yeah. yeah, because I heard that uh, a Spanish guy that I helped doing that in Spain, I heard he is a member of the PEA, so he went to the PEA and um, and shared the method as is, of course. And got the Dunninger Prize for it. Uh, I never said anything. I think this is the first time I'm mentioning this. Uh, but I was, I was very. Uh, now that everything passed, I was very proud of that method 14 years oh, ago. It's, yeah. it's, it was amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, very, very genius. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there's a question here by a member named Tally. Um, he's, he's asking how is performing in Portugal different than performing in America? Well, I can tell you how he's performing in Portugal. I don't have that great experience performing in America. Uh, but um, I, uh, in Portugal, it is difficult, or it, it, it is not so difficult now, but it was very difficult because uh, magic was considered uh, uh, something, uh, well, was not very much considered, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. Uh, so we, we really take it, we, we really took it as a crusade for two reasons. One reason is, okay, if we succeed on this crusade, uh, we, we, we are able to leave from this and we do our career and all of that. But at the same time, as a, as a side effect uh, and as a, as a collateral damage, we might be able to get, get a better image for the art of magic. And that's what we have tried to do. I mean, we have tried to do it on TV, of course, but then with our tours. One of the, the shows we took on tour end up being shown at the National Theatre. And the National Theatre is usually something that uh, uh, only uh, um, Shakespeare and contemporary dance and uh, uh, all those kind of performances and art forms are usually uh, uh, allowed in the National Theatre. So we were very proud by breaking that 
that that that that wall again and sometimes it's not a question of opening it oh let's open this new door no no it's a question of breaking the wall installing a door and then open it but that is that is fun that is uh, that, uh, when you succeed you are very happy at the end and uh, and that that's important in america i don't really know how it is i'm i i, I see what is being doing on tv i see what is being doing alive uh, i don't like everything um, but as I used to say, uh, from America we get the best and the worst. Um, from America we get Paris Hilton, uh, Paris. sorry, Paris Hilton, oh, Paris. yeah. From America we get David Copperfield and the Masked Magician. From America we get Penn and Teller and Chris Angel. So it's uh, it's really a, a extreme thing. I mean, uh, but but I don't really know how he's performing there because it's not my. I, I, I just performed there occasionally, I mean, with friends, so that's, I don't really can, I can't really compare it. Phenomena, uh, Phenomena, I think is his username, is asking, have you ever been performing for a live audience and had something go totally wrong? Uh, almost every time. <laughs> Do you have one story in particular, um, off the top of your head? Uh, um, I don't have one story in particular, but what I uh, what I really feel is that, like no other art, um, every, when we do it on stage, it can really it's always new conditions. I mean, it's a new audience; uh, things don't go as you planned, uh, and that's on the other hand, it's a good thing because that keeps you alive and keeps you uh, um, always uh, with attention to things in general. But yes, uh, I'm remembering about an it's not it's not something that went ter terribly wrong. But it's an embarrassing situation that ended up being very nice, and I even use that in a trick uh, nowadays. It was uh, I was doing a show and everything went well, and at the end there was a girl that came to my dressing room, uh, like a seven-year-old girl, and said, "Oh, my brother is sick. Uh, I'd like you to make a, a, a fish appear so I can take to him because he likes goldfish." And I didn't know what to do. It's one of those things. I cannot tell her that I'm not a magician and I cannot do that. I cannot disappoint her. So I need to come up with a solution. Uh, and, and she just saw me doing amazing things. How will I uh, say something that do not uh, put up to the reputation I was trying to build of myself during the show? So I remember what I said was, okay, when you go home, uh, get a glass of water, cover it with a napkin. And I'm sure that next day, uh, you'll have a, a small fish there. And yeah, please tell this to your parents because they will like to know uh, the conversation you had with me. And I thought, oh, maybe just a good way out and this will never happen. Yes. Like one month later, I got this letter signed by the kid, which of course was the parents writing, but signed by the kid thanking me for the fish that supposedly I, I made appear. So it was a moment of embarrassment. I don't I could not know what to do, but it ended up being a very nice a very nice ending. So basically you're so, the Portuguese version of Santa eating the cookies? Yeah. <laughs> no, no beer though. No, I think it's it's a good uh question about because I think the person that submitted this was saying oh you're performing on such large stages and on television and live television you can't afford to mess up you can't you know it's not even a possibility but in reality obviously both of you guys know this and could Chris you could expand on this too uh, it's it's a, it's a, you have to react differently to when you mess up you have to have a plan B and a plan C but it's on a different scale and it's on a different level than let's say if you get the wrong card during a card trick and there's only one person watching Oh yeah, you can't. 
you can't make mistakes. It's, t- it's you. It's tough. You have to have a plan B and a plan C. So, so, well, so when you do make a mistake, it's it's you immediately can resort to to one of those. Yeah, of course. I mean, we, we don't do a thing in the show that doesn't have an out or two. And sometimes the outs are based on the situation. Like there's in a in a big illusion, there might be 20 things that could go wrong during the thing. So you have to have 20 different outs and the people have to know them. We actually have days where we rehearse the uh, plan Bs. So every so often, at least once a month, we'll have the guys go through all the plan Bs of the show just so that if something happens, they know instinctively what to do. And it's, uh, you know, and we've still, even being that prepared, we still run into problems when something unpredictable happens and you just, you're standing there, you don't have a great scenario. You just have to think through it and do it. I remember uh, from the, um, for the, uh, like uh, four years ago, I was booked on this Spanish TV show uh, to go and do 13 weeks, uh, doing two spots, uh, five minutes each, seven minutes each. And uh, the thing went really well because uh, I ended up being rebooked and rebooked. And uh, so I, I just signed for my fifth year there every Friday. I drive to Spain and do the thing there and I come, I come back to Studio 33. But um, the, the reason why I bring this uh, on is that uh, being a live show and what you were saying before uh, about not be able to afford mistakes, uh, being a live show, the best thing, the, the thing that we have really learned is, is the plan B thing. Uh, we always have some plan B and we have used them uh, sometimes. Um, sometimes we have used uh, plan Bs one day and uh, funny enough, uh, on the second show I did for them, I used the plan B and I gained the respect of the producer because the fact that you have a plan B and you and, and somehow the important person on that TV show knows that you are plan B, you will not screw up because it's a live show, um, ends up giving you some credibility. So I remember the first day I was doing uh, an interactive trick with people that would call in um, and uh, and uh, I was doing based on a, a, a Jim Steinmeier um, a trick that is published on this book, uh, Impossibilities, number one, I think. And um, and I was doing it uh, um, over the phone with people calling uh, to the show, and uh, and people with cards at home. It was a three card Monty. People at home do this, and in the studio, and everybody has three cards in the hand, and all of that. So, uh, and I said, look, uh, I'm going to do it, but if someone calls uh, after this complaining or, or not reacting well, please call me on stage because I have a plan B for that. Uh, and, the, and, and it happened. It happened that uh, people call and they, oh, they, all of them said, oh, it was great. Yes, I got the red card. Oh, I got the red card. Oh, big success. I said, pass all the calls. I mean, do not filter the calls. And they all have uh, uh, banked on the correct card and the trick went well. But there was, there was this one lady which said, yes, I got the red card, but that's a mathematical thing. I will always get it right because there's no magic in that. It's, that's completely mathematical. Uh, and uh, I said, okay, uh, so why, why can't I do something with you and proving it's not mathematical? 
I said, well, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And this is all live. Uh, but the producer knew I was ready. So I just used uh, uh, the invisible deck, uh, which I had in my pocket. And I said, uh, um, I said the, the, okay, tell me you. I presented it in a more elaborate way. But basically what I said, okay, tell me any card you want. And I, I had the deck in my, in my hand. And she said, whatever card she said. And I opened it. And that card was reversed. So it was a very simple thing, but just because I was ready for it made me look great. And I should even have sent her a letter thanking her for giving me our time. Because now the amount of respect they have for you because they know you are ready, it's much bigger. Interesting. No, I think it, it, it makes you look better and probably made the performance better because people at home might have been thinking the same thing. And then you just overcame their doubt as well. Yeah. Um, there's a question here from Tally, T-A-L-L-Y, that's asking, what do you think is the toughest obstacle you've had to overcome in your career thus far? You talked earlier about kind of writing these letters and being very, very, very persistent in getting your TV, your magic on TV and, uh, and achieving that. But is there any other obstacle or would that be the hardest one you think you've had to overcome? Well, I think there is a permanent obstacle and it's time. Um, I have many projects. I have many things I would like to do in my life. I have... Uh, I have um, lots of things, but the day only have 24 hours. The fact that you love what you do makes something possible, which is the time you should be uh, uh, doing something else because you still like it, you are still working. Uh, but that is my main, uh, my main difficulty is that I wish I had more time. And then there's this other thing, which is um, uh, communication. Uh, I believe that there is someone in the world that uh, if they knew about what we can deliver, about what is our experience, what can we do, uh, what have we done in the past, I'm sure that person uh, is looking for someone exactly like us. And I am sure that we are looking exactly for more persons that would like to hire services from us. But we, maybe we'll never cross paths. Um, so that's one difficulty because time passes, time goes by, and maybe uh, there are lots of things you would be able to do and you would love to do, uh, but because that opportunity never comes, uh, you end up not doing it. Um, that's for me the most, the biggest obstacle because everything else is um, is is able is possible to do, especially. Uh, when you have a team that you uh, work with as a family. And when I say that, I mean that. I mean, everyone that belongs to the team I give the face to, because sometimes I refrain from saying my team. But yeah, well, it is my team, but uh, we are a team and I am one member of that team. Um, everyone in the team, there's a there's a personal story behind it. I mean, there's there's a, I never put a... I never put an ad, an, ad, an ad on a newspaper saying I was looking for this account guy or for this secretary or for this uh, dancer. Uh, it's always um, we cross paths somehow and we end up uh, uh, building uh, a professional relation that is also made stable for the fact that uh, we are people that like each other and respect each other. Uh, but of course, that's a, that's a that's a difficulty on a daily basis. It's it's managing people. It's uh, making sure everybody's happy. It's making sure that uh, if someone is sad today, okay, we will live with that. And but we need to do something to change that. To change that. Uh, for me, that's that 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 is uh, uh, maybe the most present difficulty that end up being also some very uh, uh, enthusiastic as well, very uh, uh, exciting thing to do as well. 
Um, this is a very continual question that we get, um, but I think it applies to you guys more than, let's say, a close-up performer that we might discuss with. Uh, it's asking about nerves. Um, you've obviously performed for tens of thousands of people at a time. Uh, what does the nerves feel like? The question's from Skylark. He's saying, do you ever get nervous before going on stage? What do the nerves feel like before you walk out in front of an arena of 10,000 people? Uh, is that different? Does it feel different than walking out in front of 30 people? Or is it the same thing magnified? How do you deal with that? I think it's the same thing. Uh, what is important is that you get nervous. I, I don't understand the performers that say, oh, no, no, I never get nervous because I'm confident. Uh, no, I get nervous. And if I don't get nervous, I make something to get nervous because I think being nervous means responsibility. The moment you, you just overlook things like, yeah, sure, let's take a coffee, um, you, you end up not uh, being as aware of uh, what is around you as you are if you are nervous. And for me, nervous is not, doesn't mean afraid. I'm not afraid to go on stage. I like. It's something I, I'm, I look for. It's something I enjoy. It's something I want. It's something that makes me breathe. Uh, but, but yes, being nervous is a very, very, very good tool. And I think that if you, get, if you go to perform in front of 30 people, uh, that's the same thing. It means that if you get nervous, you are responsible. You are aware of what you are doing. It's important. And uh, and um, the other day uh, we were uh, organizing for the fourth year in a row the Street Magic World Festival in Lisbon with 15 performers that go from uh, David Williamson to Gazo, uh, from uh, Billy Kidd to Ramana. Uh, from, so it's really different, different performers, and they all were working the, the street. And um, I, we, we decided, uh, uh, me and David Britland, we decided to do a, a documentary uh, um, for, for a bigger work on street magic. Um, and therefore, we did make some questions to all of them. And they, were, they all said that uh, the real performer starts on the street or in these small groups because it's where they have contact with the people, they know the real difficulties, they have these spectators that are called, uh, as Leonard Green calls them, the grabbers, because uh, you, the moment you put the deck of cards on top of the table, they will come and grab it and shuffle it for you, uh, and there it goes, goodbye stack, uh, and, and, and things like that. So I think we should not be afraid of not being nervous, but we should never be afraid of performing. Uh, and it's mean, being nervous doesn't mean that you you are shaking because that yeah that would be terrible, but nervous is hey take your time be aware of the fact that what you are going to do it's always another step on this big ladder and if as a performer I think you are always as good as your last performance if you are a lawyer or a doctor you can build on a curriculum you can be okay uh, uh, I cured five million people and only two of my patients died uh, you still a great doctor <laughs> but if you are a performer you are as good as your last performer and performance and that goes for your ego because you forget that you were good before you just Remember that you sucked yesterday. Uh, it's, it's, it's also for your clients, for your agents, for all of it. So I used to say that performing is a little bit like the, uh, on the ancient Rome where the gladiators fight the, 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 the lion. So they fight the liar. They do, they, they do everything to fight that lion. Some of them can't win, so they die. That's fine. But the others, if they win, 
Well, they have like five minutes of glory because the next thing they will do the next day is not live on that glory. It's just go there again to the Colosseum and fight another lion. And I think that's what happens on, on, on in our performance. And that's what keeps it interesting because you can never take anything for granted because you cannot do a show using playback or just uh, taking to the art gallery the, the paintings you are proud of. Uh, no, no, no. What you do is what people will get and you'll get the answer, the response. Last one I'll take here is from Austin Simpson. And uh, you had mentioned Copperfield earlier. Is there anyone else, uh, if you like, godfathers of modern stage magic and theatrical performance that you looked up to as a kid uh, or look up to currently for inspiration as, uh, as in terms of your career and creatively? Well, I think we go, we go into two phases. Um, people used to say that copying someone is bad. I don't think so. I think copying is good if it is a phase of your life. So I believe that at, even as humans, when, we, when, when, when Chris and Katie uh, will be parents soon, uh, their kids are going to start copying everything they see around. And one day uh, they will do things by their, their own uh, and, and, and they will create or uh, uh, work on whatever they want. And, so there are phases. So yes, at the beginning, I copied Paul Daniels. I copied every joke, every position, every trick, all of that, because that's what you want to be. You you look you look into someone you admire and you start trying to mimetizing what they do. And then comes the second phase. And I believe that on this second phase, it's no good to look to other magicians for one basic reason. Uh, I think that if magic gets inspired, is the magic we do gets inspired on magic magicians do, means that we end up in this negative spiral where uh, we are just doing second, third, fourth versions of something that someone did at first. But if we look to the other art forms, if we go out at night and we go to see movies and we go to see plays and we read books and we like to go to art galleries and if we see the news of the world and, and if you go to design galleries, all of that ends up being uh, uh, ingredients that they get in your system and then they get out under the form of magic because that's what you do, that's what you create. Um, so I don't think that actors uh, um, uh, perform for other actors to watch and I don't think that painters go to art galleries to get inspired for their next collection. Uh, I think painters, they look out of the window, they walk on the street, they listen to music, and then they get inspired to, to, to uh, uh, let that inspiration breathe out under their own art form. So I believe that in one phase it's important we have references, it's important uh, uh, even if we copy, that's okay, because uh, two things might happen, or you get free from that very depressing phase of your life, as you will look it later, um, and, uh, and you become an artist, and you become original, and you find your own space, or you will never get free, and that's, that's your problem. I mean, that, that, that's very sad, 
but um, it's not going to be the problem of the person that is copied. It's always the person that copied to start with. So, Chris, Chris, we've talked about this before uh, with regard to someone was asking you how to practice, and you told them to watch themselves on video because oftentimes how you come across on video is not how you think you're coming across in real life. So I think what Luis just said kind of parallels to that in terms of watching yourself and seeing how are you really coming across. Is that the character you want to be? Um, and I think that just matures over time, I guess. Right. I mean, I think if you have to, you, you people never know what they really look like when they perform. Uh, well, it, it also depends if it's close-up, stand-up, stage. You know, you, you, your perception of what you think you look like and what you actually look like are usually two different things. You know, even even for for your general appearance or your. Uh, Louis, I was just getting ready to say before you you brought that up. What Luis just said was like you—you you just really, really hit the nail on the head with all that. That was like one of the best descriptions of trying to be yourself that I've heard in a long time. Thank you. It's very kind of you. Because <laughs> when you first when you first started, I thought you know to say they would be okay to copy. I thought, well, that's—I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. And then I just like love the fact that you say that's a phase, and then the next phase is trying to be yourself, because. It is an evolution. When you first start to do anything, you're an infant in that in that particular thing. Just doing magic, being a painter, being a your new job. It's you always have to learn. So the very first thing that you do is you know you have to copy what you see, and then you learn your own way. Yeah, and even in life, I think we are always three different people, and I think that's great what you said about monitoring and seeing it on video. That's really the best tool because. I think even in life, uh, and you don't need to be a magician or an artist. You can be, you can work on an insurance company or behind the McDonald's uh, uh, counter. I mean, the, we are always three different persons. It's uh, how how other people see us. It's how we see us and who we really are. Because I don't think we are exactly what people think we are. I don't think we are what we think we are. So we are a third thing. And uh, it helps. It helps if you can see yourself in video and uh, uh, be proud or be depressed or, or, or change or whatever. But it's 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 a be it's the best way. And I think on the old days, I, I remember uh, uh, talking with Channing Pollock about this. Um, he always recommend using the mirror, using the mirror. Uh, but maybe because also video was not as uh, democratized, as as popular, as as easy. We it's all cheap, have it. Right. On, not everybody has it. We have it. We have it on our phones, so um, it, it's a great tool. I mean, do that, and probably you will end up uh, uh, being uh, the evolution is going to be much quicker. Well, I had a friend of mine one time tell me that he had he he did this trick. Where I kept telling him that he flashed this move. I'm like, you really, you flashed this. It was a stand-up. It was like a stage thing. So I said, you flashed this. You know, and it, pe people see it. He says, no, 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 no. They're laughing. They don't see it. It's, it's, it's at the right, it's, it's offbeat. So I taped it, but I taped it from the audience's point of view and in the mm -hmm. audience to where you could see some of the audience members. So I, I got so lucky on the particular time that I taped it that someone in the audience, you can actually see them pointing <laughs> at, at this thing so I show it to him and he sees it plain as day and he's he's like whoa I just must have done it bad that day I go no that's what it looks like every single time and yeah he just he just was like sometimes the audience is polite and they don't say you know they're not gonna say oh stop look I just caught you I see that move I see that thing 
it didn't destroy the act. It didn't destroy the trick. It just it was something that he could have just done one tiny little thing, which he ended up doing, and it made it a zillion times better, and it made himself a little better. So, you know, watching yourself from different angles on a videotape is what I would always, you know, you tape it straight on, tape it from the sides, tape it from high, tape it from low. If you're just, you know, if you can, like a you have that. video, yeah, you're right, exactly. So if you have that, up, if you have that uh, to your advantage. <laughs> Um, I was trying to think of a good note. I want to wrap this thing up soon, and I was trying to think of a good note to wrap it up on. This isn't a um, question I saw specifically submitted by a member on the site, but I think it was what a lot of these guys might have been getting to. Um, and Chris, if you can answer this as well, or maybe Luis, you answer first, and then Chris second, because you both would have uh, great insight on this. Um, as a kid, I remember watching you, your videos, Luis, on like YouTube and on your website. And you know, I was get, trying to get into stage magic and these theater performances, and I saw that as very inspiring to see magic on that huge of a scale and it being done very theatrically and, and uh, very artfully. Um, and I was a kid, so if there's if there's someone out there that's listening to this, and I'm sure there is, one of our members, many of our members, who wants to get into stage magic right now. Um, and, and aspires to, to do these theater shows and these television performances, whatever they wish to do, magic on a larger scale, is there any specific piece of advice or direction you would give them, or what would you tell that kid that might be watching your videos that wants to be that someday to, uh, to start off in that direction? Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for your words. It's very flattering that, uh, and, and I read the introduction you made for uh, this, this uh, round table, and I said, oh, I, I was really, I was really happy that uh, I, I didn't know that, uh, that you, you knew so much uh, about me. And, uh, and so I, I, I just want to say, as I, I talked to Chris recently, we were together in, in Vegas and uh, I find out all about you. So I, I just want to say that I am a big fan of you and, uh, and, you're, and, and you are a genius. But anyway, going to the answer. The answer is like the advice I can give it. It can be summarized in two words, and those two words is be ready. I think the secret of show business is to be ready when the opportunity comes. So if you have a dream of sometime do this, don't wait to have that opportunity to then start working on it. I mean, if your dream is to one day uh, to to participate on 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 this show or doing that project or Try to be ready, and be ready means uh, learn, read, uh, study, practice, do all of that. And I don't think, uh, like some people uh, uh, come to me and say, oh, no, no, I don't do stage, I just do this. And it showed me this amazing uh, uh, move. It happened two weeks ago. Uh, this amazing move that they, they downloaded from Theory 11. And, and they, no, no, I just do this. No, no, it's not just. I mean, that is great. And if you do it, if you do it well, if you like what you do, maybe one day you'll have that opportunity that can maximize it. And I'll give you an example of how truthful this can be. Um, on 2003, I was invited to produce and star the opening of a football stadium for 52,000 persons. And that, that the show was going uh, uh, live on TV as well. And I did all these big things. This uh, I came to the stadium in an helicopter and I jumped from the helicopter and I produced the entire team and I have 400 girls rappelling down, all big scale stuff. What was the end of the show? Me, uh, two cranes over the pitch, one crane with a two square meter uh, stage with me sitting in a very nice design chair. And then the other crane, a famous Portuguese uh, piano player and composer, Maestro, 
playing a tune. And I finished the entire show for 52,000 people live on a card trick done to music with four cards that will, uh, that there was constantly metamorphosis on this card based on a very old Tamarese thing. Uh, so I don't think it's a question of size. I think it's a question of, especially on TV, because I think on TV size doesn't matter. I mean, uh, a deck of cards is as big as, a, as an elephant uh, if they shoot it very close. So uh, it's not a question of size, it's a question of being ready. So do your homework, uh, uh, learn from uh, uh, everything that is available to you, not only magic, but learn about art, learn about uh, see movies, uh, see everything we talked before. Get out there to learn more things. That will at least give you a sense of a good, uh, make you aware of what is around you, what are the other art forms you are competing with. And then uh, when, when that opportunity comes, and it might come any moment, any moment, and there's nothing worse in life than you face an opportunity. And suddenly realize, damn it, I wish I was ready because this would have been my big break. So be ready. Uh, um, learn as, many, as much as you can. Read. Read a lot of books. Books are great. Uh, people nowadays, they don't read. Um, I, I think it's important to, to, to be ready. I think that those are the two words I would say. Because when, whenever you are, when you are least expecting you'll have that great opportunity if you look for it. Um, Chris, uh, from the perspective of uh, kind of what you've done, is there anything, obviously he, he mentioned size doesn't matter. I think you agree with that um, from your life experience. Um, <laughs> but but, but, <laughs> but uh, regarding just uh, someone out there that wants to get started in stage magic, um, I thought Luis's comments were great. He kind of parallels Luis what you said at the beginning when you're glad that that uh, television executive didn't uh, you know call upon you to do that TV special when you were really young because you weren't ready for it. And if you, I wasn't you, ready. Correct. And uh, you know, Chris, you've said this before too. I mean, people are are you. Um, people approaching you um, after oh, the Copperfield oh. show saying, I want to be a TV star. And, and you ask them, uh, why? why? Why should you be a TV star? Why should you be doing this theater show? What, what would you kind of elaborate on that? Well, well, to me, I think it's also understanding what you're doing. Um, you know, people will show me a trick all the time. And they'll say, what do you think? What do you think of my trick? What do you think of my, my thing? It's either a videotape or they'll do it live or they'll bring a trick to show us. When they ask me later, they, they ask that question, and I'm, I kind of ask a question back, and the question is, is well, what, are you, what are you asking? Is this trick good for five people, for ten people, for a hundred people, for three people, on television, uh, on a big stage? Where are you going to do this trick? I, I think a lot of people don't understand what they're doing the things for. You know, and this is just it gets into what Luis says about being prepared. They're not, they're not really – I think it's – for me, it's more about understanding what you are and what it is that you're doing. If you're doing tricks – for, for your friends and you're a close-up guy that does tricks on YouTube, and if, then that's what you are. And if you admit that to yourself and that's what you go after and that's what you try to do, that's great. If that's what you are but you want to be a, a television star the next David Blaine, then as Luis would put it, you're not prepared. You're not prepared for that. And in my way I look at it is, is you're not understanding what you really are. So I think it's if you want to be this, you need to be – if you want to be a TV star, you want to be a famous magician, you want to be a working close-up magician, you absolutely need to be prepared. And again, I, I look at it as understanding what you want to be. If you want to be that, 
what is it that makes that successful? What is it that makes that work? There's certain things that make being on television work. There's certain things that make being a successful close-up magician work. One of them is being a business person. You know, are you prepared for all these things? That's that's kind of I'm saying the same thing, but he says prepared, and I I I just look at it a little bit different. But I think we're basically saying the exact same thing. I agree. I agree with you. I think that's uh, that's a very good way of putting it because sometimes people are just trying to be something that. Uh, that they don't really want, they think they want, but they never questioned it. So I think that's great. Well, they want to be David. I mean, so many people say, you know, oh, I could, I could do a TV show, I could be David Blaine, or I could be this, or I could do what Chris Angel does, or I, whatever they want to try to do. But when they when they say that, they're not even remotely. I don't want to any of the say say qualified to do that. They just aren't really cognizant of what that means. Right. They don't know what that means. They don't know what it takes. Yeah, they, they don't know what that means to be. They're what they really are is, they're not self-aware to think I am just a guy that does loves close-up magic. I'm a plumber. I don't really have a. I don't really have a. You know, I don't really make a living from doing magic. I have this other job, and I love to do magic, and I love to do it as a hobby. That person, if they just kind of say that's what I am, it's almost easier to look at what would I have to do to do a television show, than to think to think. Oh, I just want a TV show. I'm, they're not, like you say, prepared. I say they just don't understand what they are. So it's, it's I think, people being self-aware is a big, big problem in our, our industry. And you touched on one thing that I find interesting is there aren't, there aren't like conventions of painters for other painters. There aren't conventions of, it's, it's just a strange art form. You know, we, there's, there's, a, there's, there's not necessarily like, Barishnikov doesn't have a, a a big giant, go to a big giant dance convention for other dancers. Yeah, they do. Actually, Katie goes, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, imagine like a dealer's room as a, as a place where where painters go to buy paintings that they can then sign and sell to the in their galleries. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, Which is and, I, and there's also not the politics within most other industries as well of these. Well, I think there's politics, but ours is pretty cutthroat. For the size of the industry, I, I, I think it's pretty up there in terms of how much uh, negativity and kind of... Uh, well, I mean, in general, when you do a magic trick, you're kind of lying. You know, you're, you're, you're lying to them that there's a card on the deck, the table that's not theirs. You're kind of, we're just lying anyway. <laughs> so you end up yeah. lying to yourself. You know, I hate to say it so, so simple, but we're creating like it's just a, that lying is part of the deal. It's part of the business. And they and, take that and, into their tricks. They take that into their, their personal life. They take that into their, the way they deal with their friends. It's really amazing. Completely. I mean, th th that is what, what usually people say. That when we start believing our own publicity, that's a, that there is a big problem there. But I think the problem with magic is that it's so easy to fake. Uh, and it's so easy to lie. Because if someone comes to me or if someone comes to a, a layman uh, or someone comes to the plumber that you mentioned before and they say, hey, I, I'm a singer. Oh, yeah? Well, sing me a song. And immediately on the first uh, uh, 20 seconds, you know if the guy is a singer or he thinks he's a singer and he doesn't even have a voice. Uh, if I say, oh, I'm great painting, and you say, okay, can you paint my face, and the guy starts painting, you immediately know if the guy is, has true talent or not. But with the magician, that is not true. 
I can, someone can go to some other person and say, I'm a magician, and they vanish a coin and be, oh, yeah, I see, vanish, yeah, oh, okay, you are a magician. So the distance between being a real uh, professional or a real magician artist, or an artist, it's, yeah. it's, very, it's very easy to immediately get the, the pin to put on your lapel if you say you are a magician than if it is to, do, to put it if you say, oh, I'm a writer. Okay, how many books have you written? Well, I have nothing published. Uh, how old are you? I'm 60, but I am a writer. But, yeah, but you never publish anything. Yeah, but I am a writer. You know, he's not a writer. Uh, but with magic, it's very easy to fake. It's very easy to say, yeah, I'm a magician and I usually I work abroad. And uh, yes, I'm very I'm big, I'm big in Europe. I'm big in Europe. <laughs> I'm yeah, big in yeah, Europe. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, uh, that is the, 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 the sad part of our, our business. Yeah, and it's, it's also, you know, the other, other part of that is, is, is if you are an artist or if you do care, then you're lumped in with all these people that, you know, their Uncle Joey that does a card trick. You know, if you say that you do magic, if someone, what I, what I really hate it when, you, when someone will say, oh, this is Chris, he, he's a magician. Most people don't really say that about me normally when I meet someone, but if they do, you know, I hate when someone will go, oh, look, it's uh, my Uncle Joe does magic. You know, he does this great thing with these 21 cards. or They, they just immediately put you in the same league with this other person. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like maybe me and Uncle Joe went out the other day Tuesday and talked about the twenty one card trick to see if we had different versions. You know, I, I, it's just it's almost it's almost to the point of being embarrassing. Um, yeah. you know where it's different. I mean, I used to love it when I used to perform in David's show all the time. You know, I did sort of stand up comedy magic in the show, and every once in a while, my name would get mentioned in the reviews in the newspaper. And the best thing I ever would my favorite thing was when they called me the comedian in the re- in the review. They didn't call <laughs> me the magician. They, so, so to me, that was the best thing ever because I wasn't like to them. I crossed the barrier that I wanted to cross. I crossed not just being this guy doing tricks up there. I'm not Uncle Joe. That just you know, here I am. Luckily, I'm on stage at the same time. I might you know have the 21 card trick to Uncle Joe to talk to. But mm-hmm. you know, I. It, it was nice to have that feeling of you know you you are you've transcended that into being an actual like household name kind of celebrity in Portugal. You're wow. not just he's a prince yeah. of Portugal to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Everybody what my knows mother says. <laughs> Everybody knows Spain. You yeah, you're uber famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just saying. I think we can wrap it up. I think we're uh, trying to wrap this thing up in some sort of timely fashion here. Um, We've got you a lot of questions. I think there's some great advice in this thing, particularly towards the end. Um, if you are interested in stage magic and you aspire to be anything of the sort, um, I think there's a lot of great advice in here. I mean, it's certainly what I would have been looking for when I was younger, interested in theatrical performances and, and wishing I could ask someone like Luis. And now I'm doing it, but I'm trying to, you know, uh, uh, flip this from the perspective of if I was, was still that that kid that's listening to some podcast or watching some performance, what would I need to know? What should I know? Um, and what would I you know need to hear? Which are the three different things you were talking about? So, anyways, um, thank you though, uh, Luis, for uh, your time and doing this. I know it's late over there. It's what one oh five in the morning. It's um, more than fine. I just want to say two things that for me was a big pleasure to be talking to these two great guys in different areas and that I admire very much. Mr. Chris Kenner, Mr. Jonathan Bain, 
Uh, and thank you, I would like to thank you as a, a magic lover, I would like to thank you for Theory 11. I think what Theory 11 is doing is, is incredibly good and uh, it's, uh, it will, it will uh, leave, leave a very big uh, footmark on this new generation that is touching it. And, uh, and I think it's great. We should all, people that really love magic should all be pleased with what you guys are doing. So for me, it was a pleasure to be interviewed and to be talking by, by you two. Uh, and I hope that uh, throughout this podcast, we haven't lost all the, no, we haven't lost all of them. I, I can see here we are still two persons listening online. Thank you for listening to the podcast till the end, you two. That was really, really nice. That was your mom and my mom. Yeah, hey, but you should have said that. <laughs> Lovely. Awesome. Awesome. All right, well, Chris, thank you, too, for uh, chiming you in on it. this and helping in the discussion. And uh, we'll chat with you guys out there soon. Okay. Bye-bye. See thank you. you.